You're listening to the Remember the Maples Hockey Podcast in partnership with the Black and Gold Productions Sports Media Company and part of the Black and Gold Productions Podcast Network. This show is dedicated to preserve the rich history of the Amesbury Maples ice hockey team originally founded in 1924 and was known as one of the best amateur semi-pro clubs in the United States. Please support the show by following our social media accounts on Facebook by searching Remember the Amesbury Maples page, on Twitter, at Amesbury Maples, and please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Remember the Amesbury Maples. If you're a former player or family member willing to be a guest, please send an email to blackandgoldproductionsllc at gmail.com. Thank you and enjoy the show. <laughs> Hello, Amesbury residents and hockey enthusiasts. My name is Mark Arred. I am the host of the Remember the Maples Hockey Podcast. This is episode two, and uh, I am recording this on Thursday night, July 29th. And uh, I have a very special guest, former Amesbury high school hockey player and Amesbury Maples hockey player. Todd McGrath is joining me tonight for an unbelievable discussion about his time playing hockey as a youth member into the high school years and obviously into the um the years that he uh played for the Amesbury Maple. So um thank you very much for tuning in. Please uh support the show by following us on Twitter at Amesbury Maples and uh also uh please subscribe and, and give a rating on Apple I uh Apple Podcasts and Spotify and also please go to the Remember the Amesbury Maples YouTube channel and uh, give a like and subscribe there for future videos like this but without further ado here's my interview with Todd McGrath and I am back this time I have a special guest he is a former Amesbury High School hockey player and Amesbury Maples um hockey player his name is Todd McGrath Todd thank you very much and welcome to the remember the Maples hockey podcast thank you Mark um let's get right into uh some uh, just a general question um I assume that you've been an Amesbury resident for a long time can you tell me about how long you've been in town and and where you might have worked in town and so on a little bit of history um started in Amesbury grew up in Amesbury will um pushing social security age now so that gives you an idea how old I am Amesbury High School graduate, 1970. Um, wife is from an Amesbury family. Both of my kids went to Amesbury High School, one in 97, graduated um, second. My son graduated in 01. My wife was the librarian at the Cashman School for decades. Spent a few years working at the middle school in the uh, middle to late 70s and early into the 80s with Mark Allred's father, who was a goalie, I might add. And uh, been around a long time. Got a few friends in town. Got got some 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 memories that we can share. So started um, hockey early. I'm going to say I don't really recall a date, but I'm going to say in the early '60s, playing at the rink that was created at the bottom of the driveway at Amesbury High School, built by. Alphonse Pickard and Todd Holbrook and Chet Johnson and Mr. Bergeron, who I, I think his name was Al, but I don't really remember, uh, in the early 60s, traveled with the Pee Wee hockey team. Uh, in those days, there were no rinks in this area, so I remember going to Saugus. I remember going to Charlestown. I remember going to Southie. I remember going south of Boston. Uh, typically on Sundays were peewee hockey games and we went where there was ice. If the ice was assigned at six o'clock in the morning, we were there at six o'clock in the morning. All volunteer coaches, Alphonse Pickard, Fred Fournier, uh, Mr. Bergeron, Todd Holbrook, uh, many, 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 many hours traveling and, and playing the game to the best we could as the age that we were. Started playing for George Royal and Fred Fournier and Leo Dupere at Amesbury High School in 66. Practiced in the Exeter uh, Academy rinks, which were outside in those days, skating with whatever we could do to wrap our faces. In those days, we wrapped our faces with, with um, beach blankets to protect from the frost. And and uh, wasn't until my senior year that we moved into the new rinks in Exeter Academy, which are now some 50 years old, but they were um, the second best ice I ever skated on. Uh, played all through high school, 
uh, graduated, played um, with Leo Dupere, famous, obviously, from Northeastern. A couple of years, played with him, for him, against him, and learned the game, obviously, very well. Leo was always one step ahead of you in whatever drills you did. If we were skating figure eights and exercising, he was one step ahead of you. If we were pushing guys with two hockey sticks locked in front of us, each hand, set of hands, he was on the other side pulling. If we were dragging the guys, he was pushing. Um, amazing athlete, uh, excellent coach, knew exactly what he wanted from us. We competed in those days in the Northeastern Conference. I remember going to the Lynn Arena many times, Marblehead, Swampscott, Winthrop, Lynn Classical, St. Mary's, um, typically almost always the underdog. Coming from a small school, we were probably male enrollment, 50 plus, 60 plus, maybe something like that. So we were, you know, 10 or 12 guys. Uh, Leo was known when you were playing Amesbury High School, you better play all 30 minutes or you were not going to win because Amesbury was coming after you the, the last portion of the third period. Competed Malden Catholic. I can give you some names that you remember. Joe Fiddler uh, graduated Malden Catholic, went to BC. Um, Swampscott High School, Marblehead High School. There was a kid named uh, Cahoon, Tori Cahoon. Still oh. owns scoring records today at Marblehead High School. Went to Yale. Um, outst outstanding athlete. It was my job to cover him my freshman year. Um, not going to happen, obviously. So that was the kind of athlete that we were competing against. Fiddler went to BC. Um, there were multiple other guys that, that came from that era. Uh, went on to go to major different schools. The Irvings from Beverly and these guys of this vintage will know those names. Graduated Amesbury High School, went to Salem State, played a year at Salem State for what was then the freshman coach, Ray Funchen, and the varsity coach was Barry Urbanski. Um, no rink at um, Salem State College. In those days, we competed again at the Lynn Arena. Uh, the Maples went on to, to compete many games played with Randy Pickard and Rick Fournier and Larry Fournier and Mark and Jeff Taylor and Nato and Paul Desertels and Peter Chase. And the names go on and on and on. The coach was Jack Farmer. Uh, Farmer was a big name in sports in Amesbury. Jack was the coach and the first aid guy. Um, most of this era hockey was molded by the fire in Amesbury High School in 1964. When we started playing for Leo and George Royal and Fred in April of six, in the spring of 66, obviously there was no school. We had no locker room. We had no shower facilities. We had um, weight programs. Any, none of that existed. So the coaches literally created that, that kind of competitive atmosphere that most of us that played in that era pretty proud of. Maple's jerseys in those days were a, a white shirt with a green block maple leaf. Uh, they were wool. We had wool socks on. We wore a woman's garter belt. Had a hook on the bottom of it that hooked to your white socks. Always carried a penny. Stick the penny through the sock and that's how you held your garter belt out. Uh, skates were leather. I was pretty fortunate to actually have steel toes on mine with the, the tacks that I owned. Goalie pads were leather. Um, the helmets were plastic if you owned one, and a helmet looked like a little elliptical plastic button on your forehead and a little plastic elliptical button on your on your the crown of your head held by a leather strap. Uh, all of our gear was carried in Navy surplus green canvas sacks. And if you were going to high school, you hauled your gear to you. Uh, the guys that remember going to, to Haverhill High School will remember that clearly. Uh, it wasn't until the early 70s until we, Will Began and the Hudon family were involved in building the rink that is now at Crossroads Plaza. Maple's games were Sunday evenings and we competed against the Bruins who were playing in the early 70s. I don't need to say anything more about that. But um, 
we would have a dozen, maybe 15 people in an arena. Maples never had practices that I recall from the four or five years that I was involved with the guys, all local guys. The rinks were in Woburn. We played in Lynn. We played in Billerica, played in Haverhill, um, Andover Academy, Exeter. I remember driving one night out to Greenfield on the western part of the state. Governor Dummer in those days had an outside rink, all personal cars. Um, there was no funding mechanism for the Maples in those days. And somewhere along the way, somebody acquired a contract to tear down one of the old carriage factories on Oakland Street and Chestnut Street. And through the demolition of that building, somebody acquired some money and that was used to buy pants and jerseys and goalies equipment and whatever else we needed in, during the day. Otherwise, it was personal preference. If you needed skates, you went and bought skates. And there was no warehouse to draw from or any of that sort of stuff. Again, we competed pretty well. Um, big team from Linfield, the guys will remember Dickie Pinch and Jody Pedro and some of the guys that we competed against in high school in the Lynn area, obviously played in, in uh, the various teams in Lin the Linfield Bombers, as I remember, but I not really clear, but we were in the Lynn Arena. So it was pretty similar. You tried to be competitive the best you could. I don't remember specific practices. I do remember high school practices on the Park Pond, sitting on the little concrete wall over there, putting your skates on. And as soon as there was ice in the fall, we were on it. I do remember winters where we couldn't participate because it was just too warm. There was, there was no ice, there was no ice anywhere. So deals were made with, with uh, Mr. Pickard and Todd Holbrook and the guys, and we traveled and we went to wherever it was that was assigned. I remember being in Saugus down next to Kelly's Roast Beef, a raised Quonset hut building also pretty much outside. Hockey's in those days was um, a little slower than it is today. It was more position oriented. You had a corridor on the left-hand side. I was a centerman. You played in the middle. It was my job to come out from behind the net and look for Dougie Gleason on one side and Bobby Pecola on the other, and I knew they were there. There wasn't any question. And I dumped a puck in an area, and they also knew that if they weren't there and the puck went to the other side, that they were going to get pulled. And Duke <laughs> was not happy with that kind of participation. So you learned early on. Uh, conditioning was paramount. I remember having a house on Hillside Avenue going down the three back steps to come out in the morning and not being able to walk down the steps. My hamstrings were so sore oh, that you could not, could not flex your legs enough to come down the steps. So you knew that going into a Leo Dupier hockey team and you anticipated that. So that's, that's the way it was. The legs feed the wolves, right? Yes, sir. But you, at the same time, Mark, we were competitive. We competed with Marblehead. We competed with Swampskit. We competed with uh, Jerron and, and, and Cahoon and these guys from, from Gloucester. Right? I don't remember the kid's name. I think it was Anderson, but um, left early on and made it into the final cuts in the Canadian system. Um, at that point, Larry Fournier. Jackie Morrow and Stevie Klein were uh, either enrolled or looking at going to Salem State. And Larry and Jackie Morrow made it into the final cut in the Canadian system. That's, that's unheard of for little whistle stop Amesby. But that's the way you learned the game. You learned the game as a team. We competed as a team. We won as a team. There was never any, you did this, you, you caused this. There was, there was that. If, if the coach was unhappy... You were pulled off the ice. You were directed, you were coached, and back you went. So that basically, Todd, that's all coming down from development. So when when you were younger, I mean, how important when you think about development was like Alphonse Picard, just I mean, on the research that I've done, he was just a, a guy that played the game um, to the – not the highest level, but semi-pro back in the day. The, the Amesbury Maples were a very, very well-organized team back then and and even, even known to be America's best amateur club. But he was a man that 
passed down a lot of his knowledge that he got from Aurel and, and Everett and so on to younger guys like you, but like even Albie Roy, did you ever have any, um, um, you know, communication with Albie? Because he was another one that passed down, um, uh, to, you know, knowledge to the younger crew. And even, even back, I mean, I remember in 2019 when Kathy Roy was up there at the uh, Amesbury High School Hall of Fame uh, inductions talking about Albie what, driving around with a red pickup truck picking up kids to go to a, a local uh, ice surface to, to practice. So, I mean, talk about some of these guys that brought the, the, the game to you and, and what it meant to you. I remember one game, and I don't really remember the circumstances, but it was some sort of a fundraiser, and it was the old Maples and the new Maples at the rink at the bottom of the high school driveway. And some of the old, the old, the old timers, and I'll give you some names, but Alphonse Pickard and Fred Fournier and Bibby Valancourt and Joe Laravere, and some of these guys learned the game at the highest levels and passing in those days was as critical as the goal. If a good pass was made in a triangle and there was a guy trailing and they could drop the puck back and then wait for the two wings to converge, they, they knew where those two guys were. They were in their alley and they knew they were going hell-bent for election to get to that goal. And if the shot was taken from, from the sentiment, they knew there was a rebound there. So it was an Esposito-Hodge kind of a Cashman kind of a game where they were guys, we, we dug in the corners, we worked the front of the net. There were some good goalies in those days. Jeff, Jeff Taylor was a, was a great goalie with, you know, what I would call antique equipment. And I'll give you an example. It, he didn't have a mask. I remember the home on Congress Street and we went over one day and we had a bunch of oversized, what we would call McDonald's sized straws and we cut them and put them in his mouth and covered his face with plaster Paris and made his mask. Wow. Okay. That's just the way things were. Alphonse didn't skate with us, but you knew in his coaching technique, he would tell you what you did and, and how you could fix it. Leo Dupe was the same way. Coach would pull you off. He'd say, you came across into the middle. I had two guys within 10 feet of each other. You could reach out and touch each other. The other side of the, the, other side of the, the ice is empty. Okay, coach. I remember coming home from Lynn. There was no plexiglass on any of the, the sidewalls down there. It was all chain-link fence. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> okay. I, I, I remember coming home one night. My parents had brought me to the game, and there was a, there was a concert, a band concert in Amesbury High School. And I was pretty beat up after the game. And guys are looking at you like, where have you been? What do you do? I said, well, we had a hockey game, you know. But Fred Fournier played with us. Fred was as good a skater, if not a better skater, and an outstanding technician. Uh, Larry became an outstanding hockey player because he knew where he was expected to be. He knew what his job was after the goal was, was uh, rejected. And he'd come around. And I, I remember him clearly. Go, go, go. And three guys. And, and you had your alley. And off, and off you went. Bibby Valancourt played hockey. Joe Laravia played hockey. Joe had one of these Stan Makita slap shots. You could see the stick roll up on the point, and he snapped his wrist, and it was gone. And it, it was deadly accurate. And they, in those days, and uh, Dickie Michaud graduated from Amesbury High School, went on to play BC, played on Maples teams, played on American hockey teams, unfortunately tried to play on the 60 Olympics and was married and had kids and there was no funding mechanism. So he had to come home. He would have been on the Maples. Uh, he would have been played on an Olympic team. Um, was pulled from tournaments in Sweden to, to go to Russia. Dick, we need you. That's the way the game was played. It was fast. Um, two line offsides, which we no longer experience today. So it was a little bit different positioning. But you were expected to, to know your role and execute your role. Those, those guys, uh, Fred was as good a skater as anybody on the ice. Leo was the best skater on the ice. Remember circumstances one night. We had three lines. We were outside at Exeter Academy. Three lines of three guys and nine guys. Every 45 to 50 seconds, you were changing your shift because we're playing against the coaches. 
three coaches never came off the ice. Oh, jeez. So who's the bright one here? Okay. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was triangles. It was quick, sharp passes, and and you learned. Hey, w- wait a minute. You know, play smart or play hard. Which is it? You can't have it both ways. Yeah. Uh, the rink in Amesbury helped clearly. Uh, we had some ice time that we could get our hands on. I I, I don't recall a funding mechanism for how we paid for the ice as, as to paid what it is hourly now. I have no, no recollection of what that was. I do remember a, a fire in the facility at some point. So it went down and of course that changed everything. There were no state hockey rinks in Haverhill, uh, New Report or any of those kinds of facilities. The Frost Arena in Lawrence on 495 existed, but it was always booked, it was always busy. It was one in Billerica down off of Route 3 that UMass Lowell played in. Um, again, booked, you know, that's that's the way it was. I knew Albie. I didn't know. I wasn't old enough at, at when, when we were there in the 60s and the 70s to participate in his coaching. But, but I have the photographs of the guys and uh, Evie Jutras and, and some of the names, and you mentioned most of the names, but Albie was another one, it, whatever it took. If, if he needed to load up a truck and take guys to a pond in Southampton to go and play hockey, and that's where the ice was, that's what you did. Let's go back to your, your youth hockey days. Um, how was the participation draw back then? Because it must have been a hell of a lot different than it is today. And I'm not knocking the, the youth programs at all, but it just seems like Amesbury High School needs to partner up with another school to find interest. So... I'm trying to like not campaign for something that the town needs to provide, but I want to give a better history about how this town was so well-versed in teaching and having the areas to go to for, for the youth programs. Cause I, I can almost guarantee that back in your day, there must've been a line of people to sign up and they had to turn people away because of how the, the maples and, and the Bruins, they, you know, they kind of drew that interest out of the out of the youth. The interest was premier. It was one of those things that um, all of the Bailey Company guys that worked, and Alphonse Pickard worked for the Bailey Company. My father worked for the Bailey Company. They they lived in Amesbury. They had their kids in Amesbury. Uh, Alphonse would take Randy down on the Powwow River, down over off of Thompson Street, hour after hour after hour. And Randy was the the most native talented skater probably in this area, in in my era, second to maybe Dickie Michaud and some of the other guys. And Randy was, he was was built like a block from the waist down. He was extremely strong. He was very agile. He was very quick. And Alphonse demanded it. There wasn't anything less than that. Todd Holbrook came out, was a, a captain of hockey teams in Amesbury and went to RPI and played some hockey out there. Uh, big guy, powerful guy. He was always around. Joe Laravia had boys that played hockey lightning fast. I mean, they could skate, They, you know, amazingly agile. The Sear boys, Roger and, and uh, Whitey and Johns all played hockey. And, they're, they're, you know, just it was a family thing. Parents would come to the games. It was a family event. I remember my mother taking thermoses of beef bouillon because we knew we were going to be outside. We knew we were going to be cold. I remember goalies, young goalies, and I won't give you names because I would embarrass them, but it was so cold that they would stand in the goal and they were crying. They were so cold. But we played and we, we did our best. And every year you got a little older and every year you got a little stronger. And you look to these guys in these games that you saw. Bibby uh, Valancourt, uh, light, lightning quick on skates. They didn't have the nylon and the Kevlar and the vest. It was no, I didn't own a pair of shoulder pads. Didn't know what they were. Had a pair of basketball knee pads taped with duct tape on my, on my elbows. You know, there was no money. These guys worked at the Bailey Company. They came home and they went to work building a rink. We need, they needed ice space. They built the rink. There was one light. We finally figured out from the DPW guys how to jimmy the lock enough so we could get inside to turn the light on. 
<laughs> wow. and, then walked, and then walked home. Remember it well. And, and that's what you expected. You, you were demanded to be that way. And when we started to compete and you were looking at my freshman year, I had Tony Cahoon one night. And I was expected to cover him. So it was a 62 Caprice Bel Air with a flat tire and a paint job and a 911 Turbo Carrera SC with an oil cooler on his way to Yale. Okay? <laughs> well, obviously, obviously, you know, I remember playing Malden Catholic in summer leagues. We used to meet next to the, um, the breakfast place on, uh, on French Street, the morning buzz in the parking lot. Whatever time it was, and there were games all evening long, and Chet Johnson had a big van, and all the bags would be stacked up in the back of the van, and all the guys would pack in, and we would go to Lynn to play summer hockey. And it was the same guys. Joey Fiddler from Lynn, Lynn uh, Malden Catholic had, had as good a shot as anybody could, could pick out. Obviously, there was a goal in the backyard with a sheet of plywood on it with four holes in it, and he would shoot the top left-hand corner and do it 100 times. Fred Fournier would come to us and say, I want you to shoot 1,000 pucks a day. Anything less is unacceptable. You, 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 just, you better be able to do it. Those, those dedications are burned into your brain. Mums that came with um, bullion in breakfast, um, dads that came that were shuttling guys back and forth. I remember school buses sitting with the school bus motors running because we would go and sit in the bus for a few minutes and try to warm up. Um, the Bailey Company guys, it was a it was a different way of life. Just to give you an example, Alphonse Pickard worked at the Baileys at, and, and, and they were in Amesbury. And when there was a fire in Amesbury, Sam Bailey would already been in receipt of the fire alarm. And all of those guys left the Bailey company to go to the fire. Wow. And then came back. Now you learned that. Okay. What, what's what, what better license, what better invocation than there is of dedication to family and community than guys like Billy Ryan that would leave their job at Bailey Company, go to the fire, and came back. Wow. A Amesbury High School in April of 1964, there was an old Maxim fire engine that sat down next to the park pond. And we pulled hoses from the park pond to the fire. And that's, that's, you learned that. It was burned into your brain. Fred Fournier, down in front of the library, all the Pee Wee hockey guys, we would all be down there for whatever time we were expected. Dad would drive us down and drop us off. Sometimes you were lucky enough for dads to go. Sometimes you weren't. Wow. Your, your, your dad was a goalie. We played for the Amesby Paint Hardware All-Stars downtown in the Strand Theater. Yeah. You know, Jadis bought jerseys for us, and we played in the rink. You had ice time, we went. I yeah, was I'm lucky I was lucky enough to draw ice time with Mark Taylor and, and Paul Desi Desertels from the Maples. Desi's a big boy. You look at Desi and you say, that, you know, I don't understand. And he can fly on skates. And oh, yeah. it, was tri it was triangles and quick, sharp passes. He knew I was going to be there. And off we'd go. And, and we, we had a blast. We had fun. It was clean, you know, just... Every, everybody accepted it for what it was. Yeah, I saw pictures of Desi, uh, Paul Desitels, and let me tell you, that look on that guy's face, you don't want to be anywhere near the boards when he comes down the, uh, down the wing because he looked like he could crush you. <laughs> we, we had a defenseman kid named Peter Chase that moved in, I think my senior year, but came in from Georgetown, a hell of a hockey player play defense, and, and he was one of these guys that he would wait for you to make your move, whatever your move was, and a half a second later, he would make his move. And and he was impenetrable. He, Carl Vedrani, another one. Carl yep. would knock you down just as soon as look at you. And and off we'd go. He'd steal a puck, and we'd be going back the other way. Remember, remember it clear as day. Jeff, Jeff Taylor, one night we were in the Lynn Arena, and Beverly High School hockey and a kid named Ken Irving that I later played with 
on the Maples had gone to Bowdoin and we beat them two to one in a hockey game. And they were not happy. Took them out of a state tournament. So, wow. it, you know, Red, red Foot, um, Lynn English. Uh, you go down to go into high school and you look at the records on the wall. It's, it's all Lynn English. You go into Northeastern University today and go down into the hockey arena and walk that wall. It's all Leo Dupia. They're still there to this day. Today, nobody has broken those records. Unbelievable. That's great. Yeah, you talk about Mark Taylor. That was the, uh, my father said the last time he played hockey back in the day, it was at Amesbury Arena and Mark Taylor took a shot from the point and separated his shoulder. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was it was a, a, a different era. I remember being outside one night and Pickard was a defenseman and he took a slap shot from about 55 feet and the puck hit the crossbar and it cracked the puck in a million pieces. The puck was yeah. frozen, frozen solid on the outside rink. Uh, the inside rink at Exeter was out, outstanding ice. It was mel, well manicured at that point. They had their Zambonis. They had the temperature down. They knew how to maintain their plant. Um, Governor Dummel was still outside. They had a World War II Jeep with a bunch of uh, cut-up towels that they dragged on the back that they maintained their ice mat down there. Different era. You know, Zambonis, what, no such thing. Right. What are you going? What are you going to do? How are you going to maintain that? So they they came up with ways to do it, and I'm sure it was the same as here. It was all volunteer time for families that wanted to be able to go and do things as a family. Uh, going back to your high school days, uh, tell me about being a captain and what that meant to you in, uh, in the 1969-70 uh, campaign. A captain is a is a is a funny role with with Leo because. Leo expected certain things of me, and I expected certain things of the guys that I played with. And you, we could go and you could sit and talk. And I, Dougie Gleason played with me two years behind me, but absolutely just light-footed as they came. My mother used to say he hopped around the goal, around the back, and he came out accelerating as quickly as he went into the corner. You always knew in the high school, I played with the same two guys for three years. Leo left us together. I played with Dougie Gleason and Bobby Pacola. And Bobby was, he wasn't as quick, but he was a thinker. He, he knew in, in anticipation where he was going to be and where Larry or Peter Chase or whatever it was, was coming up behind us, where things were going to go, where your corridor was, where you were expected to be. The high school, it was after the fire, I remember stealing black gas pipe and number 10 stewed tomato cans, filling them full of cement, sticking the black iron pipe in the, in the can and waiting for the cement to dry. That was our weight program. Wow. Uh, I, re I remember practices on the park pond. I, I remember very specific instances where, you know, Guys, gotta belts were broken, and you always had four pennies because this little hook that came down, you pull the wool up through and slide the penny down through it, and that's where it was. Everything was wool. It, it was, it was heavy, and I, I remember circumstances where you're coming off the ice, typically two lines, sometimes three, and and sitting on the bench for your 66, 67, 68 seconds, whatever it was in those days, steaming from the work that you were doing on the ice. Uh, after the fire, everything changed. Um, the, 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 the game was getting quicker. Equipment was getting lighter. Uh, we were getting a little bit older so we could actually work summers and guys had some new, you know, that we, we didn't have Maples hand-me-down pants. We didn't have Maples hand-me-down um, socks. I remember Leo coming to me, I think it was my sophomore year, and he said, young, young man, I want you to have a good pair of skates. I think you're going to be playing hockey for me in the fall. So you, you were expected to have competitive equipment, you, you know, helmets, no wire cages, no plexi shields. Um, I've broken my nose multiple times, guys coming through. Uh, Henderson, Jimmy Henderson was a year ahead of me in high school big, strong, powerful yeah. defenseman. And he'd come up and he'd drop me in a pile and he'd come over and pick me up and he'd say, oh, that film McGrath, wait till the next time. 
but that's <laughs> but that's that's the that's the way you played the game. You had your t- you knew you had two steps. Carl knew he had two steps. Peter knew he had two steps. And if you came too close, you were you were gonna you were gonna pay for it. Hockey was was a, a different animal. We were traveling back and forth to Haverhill on a bus. Uh, I grew up couple of houses from Andy Mann's on Hillside Avenue. So we used to get the bus there at the corner next to Andy Mann's with your bag and your stick. And if the game was earlier in the afternoon, there was one classroom there where all the bags were all stacked up with all the, all of the, uh, the sticks and stuff and a special bus, a commercial, a commercial bus would come and pick us up and shuttle us to Lynn. And if that was an early afternoon game, you had a chance to get home and try to do some homework. If it was a, you know, 9.30 game at night, it was all bets were off what time you were going to get home. But it was, that's, that was normal for us. So it was the way business was conducted. Many, many, many nights I, I remember coming home too tired to do much of anything and just, just going to bed. No trainers, no, you know, hydrotherapy pools, nobody to suture up a scar that you had on the front of your face from a stick you got a piece of tape and you made a butterfly and you put it over the top of it and covered it and and nobody should know but we we traveled we walked i remember getting a bus up on uh, southampton road one night i don't remember what the circumstance were some event downtown that i had to be to so i i normally got the bus up at andy man's this night I was up at Southampton Road and at that point the bus was full and the coach would go down through with his his book, McGrath, yeah, Badrani, yeah, Chase, yeah, Gleason, yeah. Okay. You you there was no nights off. There was there was no I got a cold. No, that's 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 good. You're expected to participate and participate at the highest level. High school hockey after April of 64 was a different animal in Amesbury. Desi and, and uh, Dave Tui and some of those guys, um, Dickie Abasha was a goalie. Some of those guys, it was an all-encompassing, You, this is what you did. Unbelievable. Make it make it work. That's what, and that's what Amesbury Maples hockey was pretty much all about, was this, it's all about community, getting together, making things happen. And representing a community out in the ice as they did. And, and like I said, they were known as America's best, but they were also known as one of the toughest teams to play against because they were so well-conditioned. Like you talked about with all the, the Leo Dupree's pushing so hard and um, you know wanting to get the best out of every kid that was on the ice. So it's just an, uh, an unbelievable story. I do want to wrap up um, talking to you. And I, I, I do appreciate your time today, Todd. I really do. And we've been working on going back and forth to get this done. And I'm glad we had time to do it. But I do want to uh, talk about the Amesbury High School Hall of Fame. Uh, I was there in 2019 um, with, uh, with with a really, really good group. And that's pretty much the first time I met you. Um, but could you uh, explain what the um, the Hall of Fame does and, and for these awesome people that went to school and, and showed their athleticism and so on and, and got to the highest honor? But um, is that coming back anytime soon now that the pandemic's over? Multiple part answer. Uh, 2019 was a, was a, was a, a induction class. Um, Desi, who I played hockey with a little bit, um, kind of in between, he went to UNH, played football and hockey at UNH, I might add. Outstanding athlete, kept himself in top-notch condition. Um, some of the names you go back um, Dick, um, not Dick, Fecto, Bert Fecto, um, always had kids running around the block. He grew up in the Highlands and we would go from, um, side street to side street to side street running. And he would clock us around once in a great while, he would get us down onto the, the cinder track at the high school. And we learned to run down there. The hall of fame is. A committee that I think looks back over the history of Amesbury and more recently, um, the Amesbury Indian was adopted by Amesbury High School in October of 1943 by vote. 
the last name of the gentleman escapes, but that first name was Myron. And that's when the Amesbury independent teams started to compete in the independent leagues and ultimately in like 48 and 49 in the Dick Michaud era were sponsored by Amesbury High School. Prior to that, you were a club and there was, there was no affiliation with Amesbury High School. If you wanted to play hockey, you got in your car, you went to Lynn, you played hockey and you came home. Uh, there, there was no uh, direct sponsorship. There was no funding. The Hall of Fame goes back and looks at the athletes and we try to evaluate them on their, on their prowess on their athleticism, on their dedication. Um, nine member committee and each has a, we've got an evaluation system that we go down through. So if um, Joe Smith is nominated, we go back and take the library records, the Burt Spofford records, family anecdotal stuff and create a an evaluative system so that you're looking at um, and I'll just give you a bunch of names, Desi, my, my uh, Jerry McGrath, uh, Dave Tui, Dick Abasher, and, and maybe Dick Reifke, all excellent hockey players in the 60s in Amesbury. Is there one that emerges to the number one position? Is there one that emerges to the number two position? We have an evaluation system that we go back and say, in Amesbury High School, you, the, this, this um, Dick Michaud got four Amesbury High School letters for hockey. Started as a, as, a, as a freshman, played some football, played some baseball. Each of those creates a evaluative criteria for us to look at to say, okay, as a, as a hockey player, we all know Dick excelled, probably one of the finest hockey players ever to come out. There was a um, banquet in 1953 and the name escapes me, the BC coach, and I'm sure it will come up. But anyway, he said probably one of the final hockey players to come out of BC. So you look at Dick Michaud's name and then you create this system. And then the committee has a chance to vote to say, well, we have, we have guys that was the captain his senior year. So maybe he's a little more evaluated higher than the guy that was a non-captain, but a higher scorer. Okay. Maybe he was nominated to a, a Gannis game. Maybe he was nominated to a state tournament and went down to Essex Aggie to compete in some track event. Maybe he was nominated to play on one of the, the higher end, uh, baseball leagues that play at the league and all of those kinds of things go into these decision-making process. And then it's, it's, it, it boils down to a numerical evaluation per nine member. We think this guy is eligible. We do the homework and we say, yep, we, but we think Joe Smith may be a little bit better because, and, and I use um, a couple of guys that I think, and I think you saw this graduated Amesbury high school in the twenties had 15 Amesbury High School letters. 15. Oh, wow. Played multiple sports in one season. Became the um, administrator at Essex Academy, uh, Exeter Academy. And back to the high school just for a moment, after the high school burned down, this guy, and the name escapes me, and I apologize for that, but he went to Leo and said, I want you to keep the hockey program. What do you, what, what do you need? And Leo once said, I need two hours a night for five nights a week. And he said, done. Wow. That's amazing. So when you look at these guys and, and you look at what they achieved, how they achieved, how they achieved as a team, how they participated, how they represented the community, you know, what, what they did while, while, while in that record breaking process that they may or may not have been in, that plays out into a sequence. And then it's voted on, and, and it's it's some some guy emerges, Brett Fecto emerges as number one, and and somebody else emerges as number ten, and you know the names roll over the next year, and we resubmit. Wow, that's an amazing process, and 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 good on good on you guys and the committee to to put this all together and honor the people of the past, and 
Uh, I, like I said, I, I was there in 2019, and I thought the the uh, the festivities um, and the honor of these past and present uh, people were just um, well done, well put together, and um, you know more people should uh, should attend these. I mean, there was a decent crowd there in 2019, but um, you know the next time you guys do it, I'm definitely going to be in attendance because I I enjoyed my time. But not only that, I also enjoyed learning more about some of these people that went to Amesbury and, and, and put in their time to be uh, extraordinary athletes. Yeah, and, and some of the names, and I'll just give you an example. We are, Bikes Wallace was probably a teacher when you were at the high school. Very, very few people knew when Bikes graduated from high school, he was already enlisted in the Navy. Really? He was already serving in the South Pacific on, on, a, on a ship in the South Pacific in the Navy. Came back to Amesbury High School started to teach, became a coach. When, when you look at that, Pat Paletta, 1929 graduate. We have pictures of Pat in track events in the, in the 20s, running with Eddie Sinkowich in various marathons in the area. In Boston, participated in Paralympic Games. Uh, I was lucky enough to, to be married to one of his nieces. But I remember taking him to various Paralympic events. He competed with the shot. He competed with the discus. He was an excellent archer. Most people don't know this kind of stuff. So when you look at Pat, not only was he a coach, but he was a teacher coach. And he was a participant prior to the accident that he had that, that left him a paraplegic. So all of this information gets put into the, into the pail and you, and you swirl and you look and you evaluate and you swirl and you look and you stir and you say, okay, Pat Paletta graduated um, Mass Maritime in 1931, served all the way through a good portion of World War II down off the coast of South Africa and World War II and well, well into the Korean War vintage. That influences how you see things. Bikes. Bikes was the freshman uh, football coach when I was there. Without the research that the committee members do, you would never know that. You just, you just, you just wouldn't. You would, there's no way to know that. So the committees, the committee members, we spend a lot of time in the library. We spend a lot of time in um, Brett Spofford's three ring binders, looking for things, looking for specific information to prove or disprove. Yep. You know, families have, and I use I use Jack Farmer as an example. Had kids that were great after joy. A, a pitcher, all of all of those kinds of things. Not only is, is it the right thing to do, but it it's some of the proudest moments of these families' lives, where they went, what they did, how they did it. Where, you know the things that they were able to achieve, even above and beyond what we already knew. People say, "Yeah, you know, the bikes was a nice guy," and they said, "Did you know he was a U.S. Navy World War II veteran, served in the South Pacific?" They have no idea. How come we don't know that kind of stuff? Exactly. And that's why that's one of the things that strives me to be better in my research about the Amesbury Maples, to get the information out there. I'm starting a website. I'm doing this project right here with, with great people like you that have played the game and have um, a stories to tell. I really, truly think that the online presence and technology needs to know more about this organization and its members throughout the years. And I, I'd like to do my best. And I enjoy this. I really have fun talking to people like you and sitting down with Alphonse's daughter, Tammy. Sure. She has a ton, she has a ton of information that she's yes, graciously yes, passed yes. on to me. Yes, you know, sir. I have a I have so much information from her and so many other people. Um uh, Kathy Fuller, she gave me some information and, and, and her mother said to me, you know, it's just been a great experience to learn about all these people. And it's just, I want to put a more online presence for the next generation to, to come back and watch one of these videos and listen to what you say, you know. Someday when you have a moment, go up after post-pandemic, go up into the Hall of Fame up at the high school on the gymnasium wall and look at those those trophies. I will. Archie, Archie Cloutier and, and what you know, I, I knew Archie, but he was older by the time we got in there. Todd Holbrook was it was he was he was a beast. You you weren't gonna go by him. You just weren't. Fred Fournier, I remember playing with Fred going to a hockey game in Nashua. He had a wife and kids and, and, and a family at that point. 
one of those guys that as he got a little bit older, he got a little bit better. And each time he got a little bit better, he got a little bit older and he got a little bit better. <laughs> Paul Stefanski from, from um, Southampton. Paul was in his 80s. We were still playing hockey Wednesday nights. He'd come down and drop the right shoulder and turn left on you. Oh. He was standing there holding air in his That's 80s. amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Unbelievable. All right, Todd, why don't we finish up right here? I just want, do want to say thank you so much for your time. The stories were amazing. And uh, hopefully we get to uh, meet up again and talk, um, maybe even at a, a, a Hall of Fame induction where we get together with um, Mr. Hudon and so on and the whole crew that does that um, wonderful ceremony. So, uh, again, thank you so much. I truly appreciate your time. Looking forward to it, Mark. Post-pandemic, we can get back to normal and start to recognize some of these guys for the, 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 their, their community, their families, what they achieved, being athletes, being, being dedicated to whatever it was that they did, track, hockey, baseball, it doesn't make any difference. It's, it's all good. Thank you, awesome. sir. Thank you so much. Take care, Todd. Yes, sir. Thanks. All right. That was a fantastic interview with Todd McGrath, former Amesbury High School player and Amesbury Maples hockey player. I can't thank him enough for sitting down for almost an hour and, and discussing the um, – his experience in with Amesbury hockey, uh, going up through the youth levels to the high school level and into uh, obviously the Maples levels of, um, of hockey in town. And um, he truly uh, is a wealth of knowledge. And um, again, I truly appreciate the, uh, the time, but that is it. Um, we will have more episodes coming up. Hopefully we get some more people involved, uh, either a former Maple or uh, a family member that would like to come on and talk about um, a former Maple that played. So uh, if you'd like to do that, please uh, go to my email address and uh, send me um, uh, send me an email. <laughs> uh, that's black and gold productions LLC at gmail.com. Just drop a line and we'll make some time to talk. So again, I want to thank everybody for supporting the show. Please uh, go to your your listening platforms and give a rating and, and please subscribe and also go to the YouTube channel and uh, give a thumbs up. And uh, also, please subscribe there, too. It really helps the show uh, grow. And, and this is what I want to do is I want to get more information about the um, the players that donned the Kelly green and white jerseys of the Amesbury Maples and, and talk about just hockey in Amesbury because it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great path down memory lane, great history research for me. I have a lot of fun doing this. So um, that being said, thanks again for the support. Truly appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back soon. Take care.